If your job is on life support, you need the job doctor. My brain is a walking database of thousands of case studies on how careers rise and fall. I'll help you diagnose what's really going on. It's the guidance you need to get back on track from someone who's been there. You can make the money you always wanted to make, doing the type of work you have always wanted to do. You may just need a little help from the job doctor. Hello, everybody. This is Tessa, the job doctor. Welcome to another episode. We are going to be talking about leadership and why you suck as a leader. This will be a fun one. So right now we've got Lily on the phone. Lily, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Great. Nice to have you. Tell me just a little bit about yourself. Tell me what what industry do you work in and what kind of career do you have? Yeah, so I, I've been um, in professional services for about 10 years. Um, we are essentially consultants in the design industry and in architecture and interior design. Oh, fun. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible industry uh, with, with incredible people who understand abstraction and also linear ways of thinking. So it's super dynamic. It's very complex. And there are days where we, you know, are up until 1130 PM, you know, drinking wine, trying to make a a deadline. Um, So I I recognize that it's, it's a, it's a very complex industry with a lot of stakeholders and um, leadership is really, really important uh, to be able to execute on those things and so my my initial question you you know you have a leadership team and you inherently assume that they're credible that they have the requisite education and background mm-hmm. um, but then there's people who execute on these deliverables right yeah. like myself right. that do complex work like okay let me rephrase this i have to do if if a leader is not competent then the burden of like the mental work that is required to mm-hmm. execute on something complex becomes even more of a burden. So I have to do the mental work on behalf of my own deliverables and then also the leadership, which makes it yeah, not easy to do my job because I have, you know, my bandwidth is like this big. Yeah. Well, <laughs> here's part of the problem. A senior leader is first and foremost, uh, their job one is to get results. But they're, they themselves are not doing the work, right? They're, they're supposedly setting the vision and, and paving the way to get the resources for you guys to do the work. But if the team below is getting the work done, it's really hard to know that a senior leader sucks because mm-hmm. the work's getting done. And the number one thing they're judged by is working. They're getting the results. So to have information filter up that they're not a good leader you're kind of going, you know, it's like trying to run shiz uphill. It doesn't work very well. And my experience in being in HR is that the senior leaders only get laid off when multiple complaints come forward or the company, which they don't do very often, has like a 360 review or some kind of mechanism by which they can solicit feedback from team members below. And then it starts to paint a picture that the leader's not doing the heavy lift that they need to, even if results are happening. Because you know where results are gotten at level three, which is middle management. That's that's who's doing the work is level three. And that's why I always say middle management 
is the hardest job in a company to be a mid-manager. I call it a middle management sandwich, mid-manager sandwich, because you're taking orders from the top and they're sometimes ridiculous and don't make sense. And then you've got the people who are saying, that's ridiculous. And you somehow have to make sense of all that as a mid-manager and you're stuck in the middle and you have to get pretty good at expressing opinions up the chain and then creating alignment below you, which is hard. So I feel your pain, but that's one of the things that I think holds back companies from understanding they have a leadership problem until, or until the turnover. That's the other thing that happens. Companies will all of a sudden, if somebody's paying attention in HR, will realize that the turnover underneath a certain senior leader is ridiculous. And they can, they can make excuses for a certain period of time. Oh, we, you know, didn't have the right people on the team. We didn't, you know, we weren't able to do this or they didn't have the skill set or whatever excuses they have. But over time, turnover tells a story that can't be disputed. And then a senior leader can get let go. But like I say, if they're getting results, it just, it's going to take some time for that to wash out. Well, you just supported my confirmation bias. <laughs> because I, I've always believed that to be true. So thank you for that. I don't know if that's a good thing, but so, you know, I, perfect segue to what you just said was that, you know, I, I gathered all of my concerns in an evidence-based way. And so I addressed this with uh, my direct uh, principal and the president and also an HR person. And they acknowledged and they appreciated it. And it, there was an indication that they, they were aware to some extent that there were some, um, some issues there. But I'm in a place right now where where I know enough about the industry and the process and I understand how to cut the fat that I know if this isn't, you know, I'm within a three month probationary period Mm -hmm. and I'm recognizing now that what I have to offer is is more than just, you know, being able to deliver content. I, I feel like I have the organizational skills for success and to deliver results mm-hmm. um, and to engage my own stakeholders, not even our clients mm-hmm. um, in a reasonable way. So now I'm thinking, okay, there's an issue with leadership. Um, I'm recognizing now that I'm putting myself into a position to get in- incredibly burnt out because this has ha- already happened to me once before. I want to avoid that from happening again. Mm-hmm. And it's looking like you know, it's going to take some time for leadership to be able to kind of go through the process mm-hmm. of, of resolving this issue. But this particular leadership is continuing to absolve themselves of their responsibility and it continues to be placed on me. So anyway, sorry, that was a little bit um, long winded. But my question to you is, how do you how, how do I phrase that to leadership that um, I, I, you know, gave it my best and that I, I really respect the team and I think that the potential is tremendous, but I'm moving on and, and I, I don't want to negotiate. You I'm just not, said I'm it. Not, I won't. You just said it the way you need to say it. You, you, don't, you, you don't. No, you don't need to give them anything beyond a gracious thank you for the opportunity. Don't feel it's a fit. Going to move on. I mean, that, that is all that you need to say uh, if that's the choice that you're making. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, let's just play out a couple scenarios. Cause if you stay, it's not a losing game, but you got to be careful. The fact that you went to HR, the only way for HR to solve the problem with the managers to tell the manager, it gets back to the manager and it creates this bad dynamic with you 
I know that because I was in HR and I got to see that play out over and over. So it's usually a losing proposition to, to go forward. In this case, it hasn't come back to bite you. If you stayed for a while, what you may find, if others also come forward, if there's a pattern, that's how you get rid of a senior leader that's bad, is there's a pattern of multiple people in multiple places going forward and them going, oh, I think I have a problem. Not just one person, but multiple people. So you may be able to outlast this manager and with the right strategy of being able to keep your heads down, not get involved in that drama, but simply understand the very most important work you can do for the company in your role to knock it out of the park and not work on stupid stuff, work on stuff the company actually cares about. And by getting involved with other leaders cross-functional projects where they can see your capabilities, you may come out ahead in this because managers, just like everybody else, they're leaving companies too. And you can mm-hmm. learn just as much from a bad manager as a good manager. I had a horrible CEO once. He was just, I mean, he, he'd call me up to his office to play, to show me card tricks. That's what he was doing during the day. And um, he definitely was not leading the company. So, but I learned a lot from him besides how to do some great card tricks, which I still know how to do 10 years later. But you can learn a lot from a bad manager. You can learn what not to do. You can also sometimes with a bad manager, manage them a little bit better. So you can have conversations with them to say, here's, without pitting them against the wall and saying, you suck, you can say, here's what I expected or need from you, but here's what I'm observed. Here's what I'm getting. Is that what you intended? Is there something I'm missing or something here I don't understand? And that conversation can prove incredibly useful for them to see something that they didn't see before and not feel pinned against the wall, providing HR didn't go say, you know, Lily just called and said, you suck. That, that of course, isn't going to be helpful. But if you learn to have those good conversations, you might be able to build a position of trust with him or her and actually do okay, short of leaving. And if you do decide to leave, just know everybody gets a get-out-of-jail-free card right now. During COVID and 2020, we didn't used to, but we get one now. And if that, if you're going to use the card now to move to something where you've only had this job for a few months, just make sure you're really careful to pick a really good place next time. Because what you can't do is go to the next one and say, oops, did it again. Right. Right. So think about that, all of those things. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. And so maybe I, my last question is about managing my own perceptions of reality mm. because, you know, we're, we're often told, and I, I am very grateful to be in the position that I'm in and I get, you know, recruiters try to poach me every month, if not every week. So uh, this is a question about cognitive dissonance. So if you if you're experiencing cognitive dissonance from like the third or fourth day in mm-hmm. um, and you're and you're it's literally like, you know, 50 50 and that's why you're struggling. So 50 percent of you, um, you know, is like your values aren't sort of aligning through actions. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're speaking the same language, but you're not do, like speaking the same actions. Mm-hmm. And then there's 50 percent of you that thinks gosh, like there's so much potential here. There, there's a uh, potential to really impact the industry in a positive way. Like I'm, I'm really into this challenge, but then you're oscillating 
every single day, 50-50 cognitive dissonance, Mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance every single day for a month and a half, do you trust yourself and say, okay, I can't recognize this feeling, but I know it's wrong for me in this particular instance. And I, you know, this isn't just a risk for the employer. It's a risk for me too. Do I listen to that? Yes, but I think my feeling is anytime you go into a new job, or get a new boss, or an acquisition, anything that feels like massive change, you should give it six months. And it's because usually that discomfort that you feel is just a discomfort that you're not used to feeling. And it could be a sign of great growth for you, that you're in a, in a position where there's an opportunity for great growth. The worst job I ever had was the best job I ever had. I went in and I cried in the bathroom for three months straight, like every day. I was in, that was my office. My office was the bathroom and I just sobbed. And then I wipe those tears off and come out and go, how am I going to make it through a day? And had I quit after three months, I would have missed the richness of an opportunity that taught me more than any, probably all of my other jobs combined. So I think you got to be careful to not misinterpret discomfort or as you call it, cognitive dissonance as simply a new environment that you have an opportunity to thrive and grow in that is that feels new and uncomfortable and give it a little bit of time. Uh, what I found is after six months, I stopped crying. After a year, I went, huh, I think I'm learning something here. Like, I think I'm actually figuring this out. And it felt really good. And after a year and a half, I went, oh my gosh, if I look back a year and a half, look at how much I've learned. And by two years, I was like, are you kidding me? I can't believe I made it but I can't believe how much I've grown as a leader. Um, If you've studied my five stages of career growth, you know that when you hit, and it sounds like you're in a three to go going to a four, that's the hardest one. And that's where people stall out because they, they misinterpret the fact that things don't work well as being a sign that the job's wrong for them. When they're simply at a stage in their career, when shit happens and when people don't get along and you have visibility to the fact that the company doesn't know what they're doing, your manager may not know what they're doing, and you still have to make things work. And Mm -hmm. stage three is the hardest stage to succeed in as a manager because that's where you're just getting torn apart by everybody, right? But it's also a great opportunity for you to practice skill sets of talking with your manager about where the problems are or what you need from him or her. It's a great opportunity for you to practice stepping out and saying, hey, company, I see a problem with alignment here. Can we fix it? And the greatest risk you have is you're going to leave anyway. If you practice those skills and it still sucks, you leave. But is that any worse than leaving after three months? I mean, you've had a chance to practice skill sets in an environment that you almost need. You almost need a hard environment to grow. If it feels too easy all the time, my feeling is you're not stretching yourself enough. So I'm not saying the job's right for you. I'm just saying you might want to give it a little more time until you can kind of sort out whether it's the stage you're at in in your career or whether this company is unfixable or whether you can develop some skills that might help you be really effective in the next job you take. Right. Yeah. I, I, I've been thinking deeply about that, but unfortunately like interpersonal conflict does not deliver, um, you know, excellence in what we do. I, I have, a number of technical things that I need to 
um, be able to execute well on mm-hmm. every day on mm-hmm. a time on a restricted time frame. So while I appreciate these interpersonal growth opportunities, mm-hmm. I think that it should be understood and expected that a leader will exercise an internal locus of control and not an external locus of control and blame everybody else for their failings. I don't feel like I don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. I just need direction on where certain documents are and they're not, you know, it's, it's just, it feels really basic. Mm -hmm. And then you have someone waiting in the wings to offer you a stage five opportunity and it's really exciting and you meet with them and you have conversations and you go out for dinner and you do all, you know, you, you get to know them. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I'll tell you one thing in this industry, it's really hard to meet someone you don't like. They're all incredible people. It's not until you really start to like work together to execute mm-hmm. on things for clients that you start to see the gaps. Right. And I think as a leader, there there's an implication to come to the table with a, a certain set of interpersonal competencies mm-hmm. that are, you know, like yes. what I said earlier about, you know, exercising an internal locus of control. So I'm in this really bizarre place where both firms are quite like quite happy to have me and are doing everything in their power to give me the freedom and the the you know best in class technology to help me do my job and now i'm seeing like okay there's it's 50-50 again like there's so you have another opportunity then in the wings waiting that you can take with a good firm yes okay yeah. And HR and knows then, that you have a leader that you're not crazy about here. Yes. Okay. I've, I've spoken to them. Do yeah. you, let's, let's assess how much leverage you have where you're at. When you spoke to HR, besides saying, yeah, we think we're aware of this, they surely would have to know that you're unhappy um, if you came to them. What clues do you have about how they feel about you? What have they said? Um, well, they, they've made a lot of concessions for my, you know, for health and wellness and and perks and things like that. I got it right away. I didn't have to wait. They upgraded my technology and I can work from anywhere that I want, uh, anytime that I want. They gave me, uh, an extra three grand to what my salary expectation was. What's for example, your... What's your, uh, so they they gave you a lot with the offer in terms of your results so far, outcomes that you've gotten. Do you feel like they're happy with what you're doing? I haven't really been able to um, be as productive because my success depends on leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so if I do my job, it, dep- it you know, there's a foundation that the mm-hmm. leaders lay that that foundation doesn't exist. So I have to, my job is double. So I have to execute on what I'm doing. And then I also have to, mm-hmm. you know, be decisive on the content and the strategic vision and the branding and marketing and all of like, you know, holistically keep all of that in mind when actually that should come from someone who has done that research. And then I take that research and then I metabolize it and then, then I respond appropriately. Otherwise, like I, I can't like I'm, okay. I can't do my work. So you I'm going off now on something else. I just want to explore with you for a minute. If you know specifically what your leader isn't doing wrong and you have another offer potentially you could take in the wings, that's 
that's leverage, the other offer, right? Because that de-risks what you say and do at this company because you have an alternative. Why not go to your manager and say, here are the things that I would expect or need from you. One, two, three, four, five. But here's what I'm getting. Zero or one, two. Um, The consequence of not having those things means that I'm needing to spin my wheels and do these things myself, which is adding 25% to my workload or 30% to my workload. And I feel like I am not able to focus on the job that I could. And we, as a team, are not able to work as effectively and get as much out the door as a result. Is that what you intended? Is there something I'm missing here? You have no reason not to have that conversation because you have another job waiting. So as risky and scary as that would sound to somebody just listening to the call, you can have that conversation and it's either going to jolt your manager into, whoa, I didn't see it that way. I didn't know that was a a problem. And you've got to be really, really truthful and not have what I call halfway conversations. We do that all the time at work where we tell people, a snippet of the truth, but not all the way because we don't want to offend them or get in trouble. And then they don't have a clue what we actually are trying to say. So if you don't have halfway conversations to actually get it out there, I see no reason not to do that because it's either going to turn the tables or it's going to be confirming to you that taking the other job is the right thing to do. It's going to give you your proof point to make a decision you can feel confident in. And that's what I would probably do is just write it down on paper, get very specific about what's missing, what I need and what I would expect you to do in your role, and what you're providing, and what the consequence is, and have that conversation. And then I would probably make a decision now from there. Yeah. And so if, if there hasn't been any action, it's been a month and a half since I've had that conversation, or since I sent that, that communication. Don't send it. Um, and do it not do- send it. Have it live. You got to have it by phone. Yeah. yeah. Have the real conversation. Well, we, we, we d- we did yeah so i sent a so i sent a note and then we we had a call i had three different calls with three different uh leadership um mm-hmm. above um them and and they said it was being managed but that was a month and a half ago mm-hmm. and I, I and i just like my communication with this other person is just installed because mm-hmm. there's no progress yeah. like it I'd make one more run at it. I would personally make one more run at it because you don't have any risk to do so. I would personally go back and say, we talked about this a month and a half ago. I haven't felt any difference. It's still as difficult to, you know, make things work within our team as it was before. Help me understand what I'm missing here. And I don't think it hurts you at all. Um, But you've got to be, again, where people fall down on this conversation is they say, you're not managing. And who knows what that, what the hell does you're not managing mean? You have to get down to the specifics of, I need you to provide this marketing plan, this particular thing to me. I need clarification on, you know, the things that you were mentioning before. When you can get that specific, suddenly it's like, oh, now I know what you mean by I'm not managing. I would give it one more shot and then I would go if it doesn't if you don't start to see immediate change. Yeah. Because that is all yeah. you can do. You can either you can either hope that he washes out, which he very well might. You don't know what conversations are happening and you might get elevated or at least get a better boss or you take the other job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one. I I appreciate yeah. that, but it still doesn't make it easy. No, you, it doesn't. You know, because the decisions, making decisions on your own like this is so stressful because you you're always 
trying to weigh reality against your own perceptions. Absolutely. Which is why it's so helpful to have that honest conversation, both with him and or another another party, because I, I don't trust my own perception. Half the time it's wrong. I think I've got it. I think I know why, you know, when people do that all the time, they'll say, I didn't get the job because I'm a woman. And then you go, well, let's take that apart a little bit. And when you actually look at the facts and talk to more people, you realize that actually wasn't why you didn't get the job. There may have been a skill deficiency that wasn't there, but we make assumptions based on only what we can see. So right. you need to see more to make your decision. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it with a really rough, con- I mean, not rough, that's the wrong word. Go for it with a really honest conversation one more yeah. time and let it be either the thing that convinces you you got to go or the thing that gives you, you know, a few more weeks to see if there's progress. Okay. Wow. Uh, just make sure you've got to make sure that the other job offer is, you know, it's a lock if you want it, you know, because those, when you start to have really honest conversations with senior management with that power dynamic, you got to make sure that you've protected yourself with, you know, worst case scenario, worst case scenario is your boss says she's a troublemaker and then you're out. So best case scenario is you have a really wonderful conversation with your boss in a way that you can both kind of work through who does what and fix a lot of the problems. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Well, best of luck to you. You brought up what I think is a really, I'm glad you brought up the topic of leadership today. And that we could talk about, especially middle management and some of the nuances and the difficulties of being a middle management. So, yeah, yeah, I hope you're able to overcome that and land on your feet on this one. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and and um, I trust your insight. So, I really appreciated that today. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in and for joining the show today. If you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my book. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success, Navigating Pay, Promotions, and Power at Work. I wrote it because I could see that people didn't understand why some people got ahead and some people's career stayed stagnant. So if you're interested in building a more frictionless career path for yourself and having a better experience with work, this is a book that you need to have. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to my website at thejobdoctor.com.